Proverbs 4, chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4. That's where we're going to be here this morning. We're going to close out the series that we started two weeks ago called On Guard, Securing a Greater Love for Jesus. And I'm, I'm hoping and I, and I pray that this series has been a help to you uh, as we've come along, as sometimes we can forget about the openings or the gateways uh, that lead to our affections for Jesus. Uh, and sometimes through the, through the mundane of life, through the rigors of life, we can forget about those, those important areas in which the enemy tries to get in and tries to distort, which then knocks off our affections and our love for Jesus. So we're going to finish out the series. Let me ask you a question here. The first week that we started on guard, what was the first thing we talked about? Guarding your? Oh, there we go. Almost there. Ready? Let's try that one more time. Guarding your? Amen. Here we go. Second one. Last week, this is a little bit fresher here for you. Guarding your mind. Okay, that's good. Let's try one more time. Guarding your mind. There we go. We're trying to wake up this morning. Coffee was good. Donuts were good, right? So, guarding your heart, guarding your mind. And those are key. When we talked about guarding our hearts, we talked about our hearts are valuable to God. Uh, It took Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that he could redeem your heart. Okay, your heart's valuable to the Lord. We talked about how it's vulnerable how our hearts are vulnerable to disease, vulnerable to lust, fear, doubt, those different types of things. And if we're not careful, if we're not taking care of our hearts, just like our physical hearts, they can suffer affliction. Um, And then finally on that first week, we talked about the very essence of our heart, and that's uh, that our heart is our life. And so we talked about those three things when it comes to guarding our hearts. And then last week, we talked about guarding our minds, guarding our minds. We talked about how Uh, The battlefield, the greatest battlefield is the battlefield of the mind. Uh, If the enemy has your mind, then he has your hands, he has your feet, he has a lot of things that he can control. We looked at 1 Peter 1.13 where Peter encourages us to gird up the loins of our minds. And so we talked about how our minds mean we, we talked about guarding our minds, we talked about paying attention to what we let in. Paying attention to what we let in. Then we talked about how that we should submit our thoughts into prayer and replacement. It's just not good enough for us to come and, and take out a thought that's bad and leave it void. We should place that thought, we should replace it with a good thought uh, from the Lord. And so we just don't pray away a thought, we pray for a thought as well. That when you remove, you replace. When you remove, you replace. And then we talked about how that we should, uh, that our minds, our thoughts should be given over to Christ. And now as we finish out this series, my hope and prayer is that each and every day you would be on guard as we desire to have a deeper love for Jesus. And that's the critical thing here. The critical thing is our affections for the Lord. Okay, we live in a world that's always battling for our affections. They're getting us to love something other than Jesus. And you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware. You have to be on guard. You have to understand that there's some ways in which the enemy can come through. And we talked about the heart. That's one of the gateways. Another gateway was the mind. And today, we're going to look at the gateway of the eyes, guarding our eyes. This is what we're going to look at this morning. So our our final message is guarding our eyes. And we'll go to that familiar text. I told you to go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 is what we're going to look at. If you don't have a Bible, the words are on the screen. But if you'd like to use a physical Bible, there's a black one in front of you. You can pick that up there. Proverbs 4, verse 25, it says this, Let thine eyes look right on. This is Solomon speaking to his son. And let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Let's say that together as a church. Ready? Begin. Let thine eyes look right on. And let thine eyelids look straight before thee. If we're honest, 
our culture has become a visual culture. With the breakthrough developments of technology, we see content all the time, either from our cell phones to our TVs to our iPads to our tablets, and these things have been a huge step of social development. And I'm thankful for these types of things, okay? I'm thankful for my cell phone. I'm thankful for my iPad because if I want to access the NBA playoffs, I can do that, okay? I don't have to stay at home, look at my big TV and look at it and watch the game. No, I can go wherever I want. And because of my cell phone, because of my iPad, I can watch anything I want on the go, okay? Which is pretty awesome. It's pretty cool. You think about those who before didn't have the TV, didn't have the uh, visuals. They'd have to sit by a radio and listen to a game. How hard would that be, okay? Uh, right now, you're thinking, man, it's kind of hard to listen to you right now as well. And, um, and I get that, right? Uh, but at the same time, uh, what's awesome is that we have this ability through technology, through developments, that we can access pretty much anything we want on a device that has a screen, okay? And, it, and it's pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. Now, our eyes have much to consume in this visual culture of ours. But not everything that comes across our screens are good for our eyes, okay? Not everything that comes across the screen is good for our eyes. The gateway of the eye is crucial, and it's a part of who you are, because your eyes are connected to the first two things we talked about in the series. Your eyes are connected to your heart, and it's connected to your minds. The enemy is working so hard to bombard your eye gate and to get your eyes off of Jesus. We got to be aware of this, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22 through 23, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It is important what our eyes consume And another way of saying this, in that verse, he says, if your eye be single, if your eye be healthy, okay? If we consume what is good with our eyes, then our souls, have you ever heard the phrase, I see your soul when I look through your eyes, you know, type of thing? That's kind of more romantic. The men probably said that to their wives at one point, okay? And so the truth is that really, yes, your eyes are the windows to your soul. And it's very important, as Jesus said, that if you're I be healthy if it's single. If you're consuming what is good, your soul will be good. Your body will be full of light. But the opposite is true as well. If we allow what's bad to corrupt our eyes, if we allow what's bad, guess what? It doesn't just stop at your eyes. It goes right into your soul. And guess what happens? Your soul begins to be corrupted. It becomes unhealthy. Our eyes are the entrance to our hearts and minds, and as such, they provide a doorway to our very souls. The eyes are very important. Since the beginning, when we think of Adam and Eve, just how we start about two weeks ago, talked about the heart, the devil was right on there, ready to attack this relationship, ready to attack this affection. Since the beginning, the devil knew that the eye gate was very important. Genesis 3, 6, and when the woman saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Not only, not only do we see Eve being tempted with the eyes, we find here David, a man after God's own heart. Like if we were to do kind of like, who would I want to be in the Bible? You'd probably say David. You'd probably raise your hand. I'd be David, you know? You'd, try to, you'd choose him. He's a great guy, a man after God's own heart, did a lot of things, okay? But we find David here, 
a man after God's own heart given to pornography when he should have been fulfilling his responsibility. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 2. And it came to pass after the years was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. His responsibility was to be at war. But he stayed behind. And, and verse 2, And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. If you understand the story, you kind of then know the devastation to follow. That from David's look, the looking, the gazing, the lingering. See, here's the thing. David could have looked, but he could have looked away. But here's what David did. He lingered. David stayed focused on it. And we understand the devastation to follow. We need to be aware of what we allow our eyes to consume. The enemy doesn't play fairly. Okay? I don't know about you, but here's, here's, here's a newsflash. He doesn't go by the rules, okay? The enemy doesn't play fairly. He's out to destroy you. He's looking to take you out. And for some reason, we don't take that seriously. I told Pastor, I've been watching like on YouTube, um, lions for some reason. I don't know what it is, but lions fascinate me. And I've been watching lions, them hunting down their prey, them eating their, their animals or whatever, man, it's crazy. And, and for some reason, it's just like weird. I just, I just like watching these lions. And, um, and one thing that I've noticed is that when a lion's aggressive, when you, when you see the lion, he just doesn't try to hunt its prey and kind of bite it here and there and just let it go. He's out to destroy it. He's out to kill it. He's out to do everything possible to wrestle it down to kill it, to take the life out of it. And the Bible talks about how the enemy is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if we're not careful, if we're not on guard, we're going to be just like that little antelope that I saw yesterday being eaten by the lion, okay? So we need to, we need to understand this is real. We, under, we, we need to take this actually seriously in our hearts and our lives because the, the thing is, if we put our guard down, the lion's going to come, okay? One of the leading industries in our world today is the porn industry. This industry is a billion-dollar industry, close to like 12 to 13. The average age, I'm just going to give you some, uh, some of these statistics because the thing is, I'm not here to shame anybody. What I'm trying to do is make us aware that this stuff is real and that in our culture, this is becoming very accepted. It's something that used to, you'd have to go to a shady place to go to a shady store to meet up with a shady person to get some of these things that we're, the things that we're going to talk about. And yet in our culture, it's becoming very accepted. The average age for porn exposure is between 8 and 11 for boys and girls. There are more shocking statistics that correlate with this devastating attack on our eyes my eyes and the eyes of your children, it is important for you, parents, really, to know what your children are looking at. The enemy knows where to start, and most times, adults who have been gripped by pornography was gripped by it when they were young. The enemy isn't dumb. 
According to recent data, 90% of young men age 18 have been exposed to pornography, much of which is hardcore, meaning it often involves violence and overtly explicit imagery. Of the 90%, the average age these young men were sexualized by pornography was between 8 and 11. Similarly, 60% of young women by the age of 18 have been exposed to porn as well. Almost 80% of this exposure, which isn't always voluntary, and that's what I'm saying, it's becoming accepted to where it's no longer this voluntary thing we do. We watch TV a little bit here. There's a little bit just there. So it's, here's the thing. You're not looking for it. It's looking for you. And so now it's not even about, is it voluntary? It's happening in perceived safety of our homes. 71% of teens keep their online habits from their parents. And 90% of the 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed online porn while they were doing their homework. Here's an interesting correlation. 60% of families who gave their children smartphones do so between the ages of 10 and 11. 20% give their children phones between the ages of 8 and 9. This is, in fact, the same age that the average child in our nation is exposed both voluntarily and involuntarily to explicit material. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying cell phones are bad. (laughs) Okay? Um, Cell phones aren't bad. It's what you do on those cell phones that make it bad. And so parents, it's not like, I'm not saying like, you know, and teens, believe me, I'm for you. Okay? I'm not against you. All right? The cell phone's a good, good device. We can use that, okay? And, and especially in this day and age, especially with a lot of bad things happening, I, I probably would, you have a cell phone to get a hold of your parents, people you know, authorities and things like that. But when it comes down to it, we've got to be aware that yes, we hand the cell phone over, but we've got to be aware as well what's going on on that cell phone. As I said before, you can access anything you want on a screen nowadays. Now, if you're wondering what potential this impact can have upon a child, through exposure to explicit material affects each individual differently. The overall damage it can cause is sobering to say the least. The truth is that the ongoing exposure can lead to sexual addiction, unplanned pregnancies, and puts children at a higher risk of being victims of sexual violence. It molds and shapes their values, attitudes towards themselves, how they view others around them, and this can often lead to a distorted perception of reality, a devaluation towards human life in general, as well as trivializing violent behavior. As a teenager, there's those things. You'll see that a teenager, their minds are growing, their, their, their thoughts are growing, they're becoming formed. And at this age, when they have uh, a cell phone or when they access things on that cell phone that shouldn't be good, what begins to happen is begins to build patterns in their minds. If pornography becomes more accepted, more accepted, more accepted, this is what they're going to get. They're going to get the idea of love, but it's not love. They're going to get the idea of how to handle relationships, and it's not right. They're going to get this idea of objectivity to where they look at a woman and all she is is just an object. Okay? We're all against sex trafficking, but we can't, but we got to start with pornography. Right? We're against sex trafficking, that's wrong, but it's the same exact thing when you look at pornography. Those things go hand in hand. And when, when, when children or teenagers begin to look at those types of things, it begins to develop a fake love. It's called lust. Desire out of control. Simply put, it damages a child's development. And unless it's dealt with properly and carefully, these children will take their destructive patterns and perceptions and behaviors into their future. Now here's the thing. I'm not here to shame here to be aware, but understand this, 
there's power in the gospel. You have to know the bad to get the good news. You know what the good news is? You don't have to. You know the good news is? Is that Jesus still loves you. The one of the crazy things about the love of Jesus is that it never, ever deviates from where it's supposed to be. It never gets higher, it never gets lower. It's always set and it's always true. Jesus loves you in the midst of your mess. He died in the midst that you were in a mess. He loves you even though that you tamper with sin. He still loves you, but he wants you to get away from that. Why? Because he knows it hurts you and it hurts him to know it's hurting you. And so the thing is, Jesus is looking for you. Jesus is the breakthrough. Jesus is the change, the chain breaker of pornography. Jesus loves you and he wants to take away the thing that is hurting you most. So if you're here this morning, you got that problem, don't be afraid. Come run to Jesus. His arms are open wide. In this church, the hope should be to where if we struggle with this, the church comes together. The church doesn't label. The church comes together with one common goal, to help the hurting no longer hurt. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to love the sinner, the one who was sick. There is no shame. There is grace. And that's what Jesus wants to extend. Now in our text, Solomon, in all his wisdom, tells his son to look straight. Keep your eyes straight. And his father knows this. So we'd be fools to think that we got this covered. And sometimes we think that we're strong enough. Throughout my life, I've kind of come to understand I'm not strong enough. And I hope you understand that as well. That throughout your Christian life, you are not strong enough to battle against sin, to fight one-on-one with the devil. You are not strong. But in Jesus, you are. Let Jesus be your strength. So, let's get into this real quick. Let's look at three things this morning when it comes to guarding our eyes in this visual culture. Number one, by understanding we have control over our eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit. The enemy is strong, let's not forget that. And to think that we can go toe-to-toe is a funeral waiting to happen. When it comes to the battle of our eyes, we cannot think by our own strength we can win. Victory for the Christian is set in the Holy Spirit. The power to say yes to the Lord and the power to say no to the flesh is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Man, you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. If that day you trusted Jesus Christ, you've got, I don't know if this is a song, you've got the power, okay? Sorry, that was bad, my bad. So, you've got the power, right? Inside of you, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to say yes to the Lord, to say no to the flesh. When something pops there up on that screen, no, because I have the power in Christ. No. Look to your neighbor and say no. No. Wow, very good. You probably don't have anyone next to you, so it's all right. So you have the power to say no. And since we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit in our heart. In this visual culture, when something you know is not right for your eyes to consume or take in, you have the power to say no. Romans 6, 17 through 23. Let me read this for you. Think about this as I read it. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What is that we're talking about? We're talking about the gospel, which was delivered you, being then made free from sin. You became the servants of righteousness. 
I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are not ashamed? For the end those of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, we're free and become servants to God. You have your fruit on the holiness and everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Such an awesome, awesome verses right there. Passage of scripture as we look at that. We're made free in the gospel to say no. Okay? Sometimes we think we just have to go with it. That we absolutely have no say when it comes to this world. When it comes to the things in our life well, I just got to go with it, man. It's what people are doing nowadays. You don't have to be like that. We do, uh, we don't have that because we have the ability in the spirit to say no. So here's my encouragement. Stop living defeated. If you're struggling with your eyes today, you don't have to. Stop living defeated. You weren't saved to be that way. Once you were saved, you were declared a conqueror. A conqueror. Look in the Bible. Take some time and, and look in the Bible and look at what God calls you instead of what the devil tells you who you are. And sometimes I think that's what it is. We don't understand what God calls us, so therefore we never, ever fight. We never, ever believe that we're a conqueror. We never, ever think that we can say no. It's because sometimes what we don't do is we don't feel or we don't hear what God calls us. We don't read what God says who we are. That's why it's important you read the Bible. It's because you have a lot of things telling you you're something else when God's telling you you're, you're everything in his eyes. Those things that we consume with our eyes, those things that are sinful can affect us, uh, can affect us spiritually. Don't think you're the exception. If we play with fire, we will get burned. We are called to guard the gateway of our eyes because our eyes affect our hearts and minds. These things are connected to each other. So if the enemy can mess us up in this area, he's going to mess us up in, all our, in everything else. Psalm 101, verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Here we go, second. Not only do we have the power in the Holy Spirit to say no, but here's the second one. We can pray. The way we guard is we pray over our eyes. Prayer is the key essential for victory when it comes to guarding our eyes. Psalm 119, 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Our eyes are prone to blurriness, okay? How do I know that? Because my eyes are terrible, okay? <laughs> I wear glasses, okay? So when I take these off, man, I can't see anybody. Um, and when I'm, when I'm doing stuff, I don't have these glasses. I'm blurry, man. And so our eyes are prone to blurriness of lust, covetousness, idolatry, and vanity. Here's the thing. Your eyes are not just prone uh, to the sinful thing of pornography. I think that's kind of like the biggest thing, right? But if we're not careful, there's these subtle things our eyes also can take on. And so I'm just not nailing pornography. Sometimes you're like, well, I got that covered. I don't look at that. But the Bible says that if you, lust, if you look at a woman and you lust after her, that you've committed adultery already with her, your eyes can be prone to lust. Your eyes can be prone to covetousness. Not just pornography. There's a lot of other things your eyes and my eyes are prone to if we're not aware. See, the psalmist writes here a request to God, a prayer request to God, and says, turn away his eyes from those things of vanity or emptiness. The enemy is good at getting our attention through our eyes. First John 2.16, for all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Temptation to sin can come through the eyes. Matthew 4, 8 through 11, Jesus was being tempted by the devil. And one of the things he tempted Jesus was he was trying to tempt him through the eyes. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto, then Jesus said, then Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only thou shalt serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. One of the tactics the devil tried to do was, Jesus, check out all the kingdoms, check out everything. You can have that. He was trying to attack the eye gates of Jesus. Luke 22 through 31 through, uh, 31 through 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Remember what I told you. The devil isn't playing games. His desire is to mess you up. Then Jesus said, then this is what Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The enemy wants to sift you, like we, but through prayer we can guard our eyes from temptation and deception. And Jesus prayed for Simon. And how awesome is that? Your, your heavenly father, Jesus, is praying for you. That your faith fail not. That when the enemy comes, he does not sift you like wheat. That your faith will not fail. As we navigate this life, let's each and every day pray over our eyes that God will direct where they go. Now here's the thing. First of all, we learn that we have the power in the Holy Spirit to say no. Then we have the ability to pray over our eyes. And here's the next one. By placing our eyes in the right direction. By placing our eyes in the right direction. Here's the thing. Eye placement is key. Eye placement is key. Throughout the Bible, you will find this concept. For example, when there were those who wanted to be a disciple of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, we had a few men come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to be your disciple. Jesus says, well, you got to understand, count the cost. The final man was, hey, I'd be your disciple, but I got to go and, and say bye to everybody. And then this is what Jesus' response was. Jesus says to this man in Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What Jesus was saying is when you have your eyes on two different things, you will not be able to plow straight. Jesus was saying, following, following me required eyes that were fixed and not duplicitous. Okay? What Jesus was saying was, either your eyes are all on me or your eyes are on something else. You will not be able to be a disciple of mine if, you're, if your eyes are duplicitous. If you try to give to something else other than Jesus and your eyes are looking everywhere else but Jesus, you won't be able. You're not fit for the kingdom. What Jesus is saying, that's what he's saying. You see, our eyes are not threatened just by pornography, as I said before, but by duplicity, covetousness, envy. And then we look at Peter when he was walking on water. Peter had bold faith until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Matthew 14, 28 through 31. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if thou bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. If you understand this, Peter was walking towards Jesus and he was walking on the water. Why? Because he had his eyes on Jesus. 
And what began to happen when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and looked around the circumstances of his life? What began to happen? He began to sink. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. You and I have a lot of storms, which the Bible calls storms, but we call circumstances, situations, unplanned uh, trials. And through it, God's asking you to walk on the water. He's bidding you to come out. And walking on the water is is a picture of having faith. And when we have faith, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because then our hearts are stable. But what begins to happen is fear begins to come in when we put our eyes on fear instead of faith. When we put our eyes on the circumstance instead of Jesus. And what begins to happen is we begin to sink. And then guess what happens to Jesus? You blame him because he wasn't strong enough. We blame him. Not just you. I blame him. Because there's times I'm just, God, why aren't you helping me out? Why does it seem like there's no hope? And Jesus says, because you took your eyes off of me. I am hope. But you're looking at everything else around you. And we took our eyes off of Jesus. We often question God when our eyes are not fixed on him. We are consumed with the mess around us and we place our eyes on what seems to be hopeless instead of the one who is hope. Probably one of the greatest things that I've ever heard in my Christian life is this phrase, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Say that with me. One, two, three, ready? Get your eyes up. Okay? This is probably one of the most profound things I've ever heard. Listening to preaching, I've heard this phrase, get your eyes up. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to guard your eyes? Then get your eyes up and look unto Jesus. One of the greatest phrases I've ever heard was, get your eyes up. And what I love about this is that the writer says to lay aside the weight and the sin. It's those things that keep us from running, pursuing, getting deeper, getting stronger in this love relationship with Jesus. He says to lay them aside, put them away, cast them out. The weight is anything that is not sinful but can, but can become sinful. And sin is obvious. We cast those out. And for us, the eyes is another way in which we can give way to sin. If we struggle with the eyes, if we want to keep running, if we want to run fast for Jesus, man, have a deeper, stronger relationship, a deeper affection for him, we cast off those things that hold us back. Okay? We cast those off. And we put our eyes to Jesus. If you're struggling with your eyes this morning, the solution isn't, well, I'm going to make a promise again not to. The solution isn't a lot more, I will or I won't. The solution isn't, well, you know what? I'm just going to do better. I'm just going to do better. No, that's not the solution. Your eyes are on you, not on Jesus. The solution is Jesus. You look unto him. You look unto Jesus. Jesus is in fact the solution. Jesus is the answer. He's the breakthrough. He's your hope. 
Jesus is your best life now and forever. So get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Look unto him. It's not going to come from you. It's going to come from Jesus alone. The Bible calls us to guard these gateways. And the things that I gave you are some just wisdom things from the word of God that will help you get along the way, help you fight every single day as you rest in Jesus, as you know that he loves you. Here's the thing. You and I have the reason to fight because Jesus fought for us. You and I have the reason, the motivation. Why? Because he loves you. And your affection should matter for him. And so as we conclude this series, I encourage you, church, to guard your heart, to guard your mind, to guard your eyes. As the days get darker, may you and I be more inflamed for the Lord. May we shine as lights in this dark, dark world. Man, our love for Jesus should increase so that when the darkness does come, we're still shining. And people can find hope. People can find hope. Let's pray. Father, we 